everyone, welcome to Hue at Home. I'm Tracy Koga. And I just want to say it is our 75th show for Hue at Home. I can't believe it, but here we are, and we are celebrating Fascin Asian Film Festival. So that celebrates all of the Asian filmmakers throughout North America. And we're so happy to have this festival right here in Winnipeg. So Today, coming up, I will have a chat with Debbie Lum. She is director and producer of Try Harder, an amazing documentary that delves into the Asian, I guess, idea of education. So here she is, Debbie Lum, and our conversation about Try Harder. It's an honor and a pleasure to be one of the interviewers for Fascination Film Festival, an incredible event, and I am so excited to have Debbie Lum here, director, producer, try harder, an amazing film, and folks, uh, I guess, Debbie, you really gave everybody a true insight into what education means <laughs> for Asians. Here, not only in America, but in Canada and across the world. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be here. And um, we're so excited to be with the Fascination um, Film Festival. And it's so nice to talk to you, Tracy. Well, you know, I, I guess, first of all, Debbie, is there some sort of connection or backstory into doing a film? like try harder yeah well i mean i've always made uh documentaries about the asian american experience you know i feel like it's um there are just so many stories that have never been told and um i was really interested being a mom myself <laughs> in sort of exploring the stereotype of the tiger mom, which, you know, I imagine you have in Canada too. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and um, that's actually how it started. I'm a mom and my kid was actually in kindergarten. I was applying for her for kindergarten when I started up with this idea. Um, and I was talking to parents in the Bay Area, especially moms, but also teachers, principals, counselors about um you know, from a mom's perspective, like, what does it take to get your kid into college? Because of course, you know, my kid was young, but I was worrying about it already. <laughs> um, like every single mom that I know. Um, and then what happened was, um, I hit, I mean, I knew about Lowell High School. I, I live in San Francisco. I'm not from here, but um, once you arrive in San Francisco, Lowell High School is one of the most famous schools here. Um, it's the top ranked public high school. It's the oldest public high school west of the Mississippi River um, in the United States. Um, and it's um, it's just like, it's always not only been like this um, very high achieving public school with like Nobel Prize winning alumni and you know um, Supreme Court justices as alumni, 
Um, but it's also um, this majority Asian American high school. It's been like that for a really long time. So it's kind of always been this place for um, kind of Asian American academic excellence in a way. <laughs> and I was really curious to know what that would be like um, in terms of a high school. Um, and um, when I met the students at Lowell High School, we realized that it was actually their story that was super interesting. Um, and so we kind of shifted from telling it through the lens of a parent to actually following them intensely through their whole school year and to see what, would it, what it was like for them. And wow, what an eye opener. But again, maybe not for a lot of people too. It's interesting that you said that you're a mom and that you were already exploring for your child that was going into kindergarten. And that's such a young age. And okay, taking our knowledge here in Canada, you know, we put a high value just on our public school system. And, you know, and although granted, though, I mean, definitely we have gone down the realms of private and parochial different kind of schooling too as well. But the pressure that is on these kids is unbelievable. And yeah. uh, how, how did you feel, Debbie, through this whole process of doing this film, talking to these kids um, and talking to the parents? How did that affect you in the end of all of this? And what decisions have you come to as a mom with your own child? Oh, yeah. I feel like I've already been through the college application. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I kind of, now at this point, I don't care where my kid's going to college. <laughs> so I had to live through it already with, with all of these kids. It was so stressful. Um, and, um, you know, it was funny because um, one of the parents that I spoke to, she said there's two types of parents or two types of moms, ones that have been through the whole college application process mm -hmm. already and ones who haven't. Mm -hmm. And when you haven't been through it, it's like a terrifying thing. And, um, you know, you hear all of these messages from other parents and, you know, do this, do, don't, don't do that and horror stories. And um, it's just very confusing. Um, and, um, you know, when I was a kid in high school, <laughs> And I went to a college prep high school and applied to college. It was nothing like this. I mean, it was, you know, you worried about getting into a good college. You worried about being getting into the school that you wanted to get into. But it was nothing like it is today. No. Um, and I, I feel like I've, I've spoken to definitely press and other audiences in, Ca in Canada who um, say that Canada can be really stressful, too. Oh, in, yes. In high school. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there is that, that kind of, there are certain parallels. Um, and it, it's just like, it's, it's, I think it's an evolution in the way that um, education has changed over the years, mm -hmm. that it's just that really high pressure environment. Um, kids that go to school, you know, that want a higher education in America, um, they're professional students, you know, they go to high school, they've got their game on, they're, you know, that, you know, they, all the social media tells you everything 
that can, you know, all the data that you need so that you know exactly what you're up against, which in a way is kind of horrible, you know, <laughs> for these kids. It's almost better to be ignorant, you know. It almost is. Um, it's almost a kind of a, uh, a lesser form of cheating, so to speak, because you get the inside, you know, through all of social media. So, Debbie, I do want to talk to you a little bit because you'd mentioned there's two types of, of, you know, I think you're referring to parents or as you know, as, as ones that have gone through the whole kind of, oh, the angst and everything of, of trying to apply, and then the ones that are, are like new immigrants or whatever, or just new to the whole education system, and then, you know, recalling their own experience. History. Um, I, and I know that both Canada and the United States, um, here in Canada was the internment, um, and of course, you know, you experienced that too. Uh, for the Japanese Americans too as well. How much does history play into it? And this might be an interesting kind of conversation as parents, right? And as we grew up. And I was, I'm very much like you, Debbie. I mean, I went to a public high school, uh, you know, no kind of pressures. I had two very good universities here in our, in our city and had either or, you know, little scholarships, you know, at the time was okay, kind of scholarship, and that was fine. Um, but never the pressure that you delve into, into your film. So how much does history play into it? And how much of that story that is untold, right, to kids that could maybe bridge gaps or solve some of the, the problems that come up in this film? That is such a great question that I have almost never <laughs> been asked before. It's so interesting. Um, you know, well, hey, Japanese, <laughs> <laughs> second generation. <laughs> it's a, that's such an important question, though. And, and mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we found that with the students that we were talking to, um, they were they really had no idea about their own history as Asians in America. You know, when you're talking mm -hmm. about the Asian American kids, um, now, if you looked at, you know, our, we followed a diverse group of kids that was pretty representative mm -hmm. of the school, mm -hmm. majority Asian American, and then there were, um, there was a white boy and a girl who's African American. And obviously there's, you know, we couldn't film everybody and there are other kids of other ethnicities in the school, but, um, you know, the, the kid who's white has a sense of his own history in America, you know, and the girl who's black, even though, you know, you know, we have a long history of, of, you know, you know, and we're having this sort of racial reckoning and Black Lives Matter. And, and it's definitely not enough. It's, you know, obviously, we have a long way to go in terms of African American history. But there is a sense in America that we live in a black and white country. You know, we live in a country where we have a problem with race, and it's between whites and African Americans. But Asians are generally, not until maybe this year, not until the <laughs> pandemic, you know, um, are not really part of that conversation in a, in a, in a typical way, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the way that, um, you know, we, we've really been kind of invisible. It's that whole model minority thing where it's like, um, we don't, you know, we're all just doing fine. Let's not talk about it, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, um, 
when you look at the way that um, fam students who are children of immigrants, um, immigrants that come to this country maybe for a better life and they're kind of, is they're Asian and they're in this whole sort of like survival mode of I, um, maybe I came from trauma and war or maybe, you know, um, there's usually a reason why somebody travels such a distance to come to this country. Um, and there's this kind of need to survive at all costs. And it may be for Asians that the way that we survived was to kind of, um, you know, repress all of these things that were part of our history, just to kind of move forward. I mean, I feel like that that is um, one of the pressures that the students feel that is not really talked about. And it's what is, you know, why they're so, in some ways, why they're such good students. Because there's no other choice, really. It's like, if you don't, if you're not perfect, if you're not Jonathan Chu um, in our film, you know, you, you don't, you're not going to get in, you know, um, you're not going to get in based on, you know, who you are, but on how you perform. That's kind of the, I think the, I think that's a historical legacy yeah. of being Asian American, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've, um, one of the things that, um, when I was making the film, I asked the kids all the time, like, what do you think about this lawsuit against Harvard? And like, what do you think about the fact that um, if you're, you know, like, are you gonna, you know, like, how do you feel about checking the box that's, you know, to declare I'm an Asian, I'm Asian American. Um, and like the kids actually at the time that we were filming, which was before the pandemic, um, they did not want to talk about it for the most part. Like they just wanted to, I mean, the most really in the film when Sophia kind of mentions, you know, I just, you know, she talks about her relationship to her community and like how she's always been surrounded by Asian Americans and that, you know, she's kind of hoping if she goes off to college, she'll be in a new environment um, just because she needs to get out, you know, she needs to find some, something else. But that was really probably the most articulate that really the kids ever really talked about being Asian. Wow. Um, and I, and I, it's not really their fault. It's like, they don't really have, they're not really taught that. Um, and I learned that kind of the hard way as a parent. Um, I mean, I grew up completely in a different environment in St. Louis, Missouri, in America's heartland where we, when, you know, like when I was growing up, we were such a minority. We were kind of like Rachel was in my film throughout the whole city, you know? I mean, that was like, not just in our school, but um, um, I came to San Francisco thinking, oh, my kids will, you know, grow up here and they'll, they'll be in this like city that is so Asian. <laughs> and there's like all of these like amazing, you know, like the mayor of San Francisco not too long ago was Asian and, um, but, in schools, actually, they weren't, it's not like they're taught um, the history. Mm -hmm. um, it's only like in the last couple of years, literally, where there's, um, you can see the curriculum becoming more, um, like seeing teachers being more confident, I think, about 
teaching that in the curriculum. Oh, wow. which is, mm-hmm. yeah. And in high school level, like there's a mandate in San Fr- in California mm-hmm. to teach um, what's called ethnic studies, um, which, you know, there's a whole nother, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't think I wanted to hijack the conversation. No, no, I know. Other terminology, yeah. but like um, kids are not actually able to take those classes um, and fulfill certain like academic requirements that allow them to take certain classes, which then become the classes which help their applications to certain colleges. So it's just a very, um, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, colloquial, systemic comes to mind, um, need for change. And like, if you look at the way the world is now, and well, maybe I'll, be blasted to say this, but education, what does that really mean? If you kind of, you know, if you look at it now, technology and how it's, you know, expanding and progressing so quickly. Um, But getting back to our conversation, I really think it's the storytelling, which you as a filmmaker are devoted to, and you articulated so well in this film, but what really saddens me is what we've just been talking about and what you've said. These kids don't have their own story, like their real true story on who they are, um, and that involves history, and that involves conversation. And I really kind of found that, obviously, when would they have time to even have a deep conversation? Either it was, you know, the mum in the car driving and saying you got to do this and you got to do that and and scheduling and, you know, going to family dinners that you had to be there and being in angst because you should be at home studying. And it was like, oh my goodness, these poor kids. When do they have a life? Yeah, they're very, very scheduled. (laughs) They're very (laughs) scheduled. Um, I mean, they're deep thinkers, you know, Mm -hmm. actually. They just maybe don't have the words to articulate their identities, like if they're Asian, for example, mm-hmm. Asian American. Um, but um, they do think about it. It, it. There's a sequence in our film about the personal statement about how, you know, on American colleges, it's really all about, you yes. know. <laughs> who you are and like, you know, showing, selling yourself 100% is what one of the girls says, which is so exactly opposite to what they've been taught their whole lives. <laughs> and so I think there's kind of this misunderstanding mm-hmm. in mainstream culture that, you know, Asians, American students, maybe if they don't articulate it out loud and they don't write it down in the statement, that it, it shows that there's this kind of lack, lack of, um, you know, lack of identity, I guess. Um, And, you know, I don't mean to contradict myself, but just to clarify, I'm not saying that they don't have a sense of who they are, but they just don't have a, maybe they don't have the words to articulate their history because they haven't been taught it. But they certainly have a sense of who they are. They're just maybe, um, like in Alvin's case, it went completely counter to his (laughs) whole sense of integrity for him to say, Mm -hmm oh, you know, I'm going to try to get in, you know, like just his, his whole sense of like humility and, um, you know, not wanting to say, oh, my father 
isn't a high school graduate because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't jive with my sense of my father's identity. Who cares what the college admissions officers are going to say? You know, he wouldn't do that just to, you know, to get into college. Um, so I, I think that that's part of what the kids are, um, part of what happens in the college mm-hmm. um, application process in America. You know, there is this kind of cultural bias. Um, it may not be codified in like something that you can prove in a in a system, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know what I mean? But scientifically, but um, it certainly is there in our society. Yes, no doubt. Uh, Debbie, I was wondering too, um, how have some of these students fared that were in the film? How are they doing today? That's the thing. They're doing great. For you know, like Yay. they really are. Um, and I think when they look back on their high school experience, they <laughs> that's what they say. It's like, oh my god, you know, I I was so stressed out then, and I didn't have the perspective that I have now. Good. Um, and that you know, kind of life moves on. Um, and you know, they're all doing great. Alvin and Rachel are applying to medical school right now, both of them. <laughs> I know. Um, and Alvin is a teacher. I mean, Ian is a teacher. Um, and um, uh, yeah, they're just like doing great. You know? Oh, that's so good. And kudos to your whole crew uh, doing this. And if we got into sort of, I guess, more of the, the whole kind of essence of the film, um, spending time with all of these people and your crew, Debbie, what was the experience like for you? Oh, you know, we relived high school. It was, um, <laughs> but it was like, we got to go to the school that like everybody wants to go to in, in, in San Francisco <laughs> like, so, and didn't have to do the homework. So uh, it was kind of a real privilege to be there and, and have this insider's um, insight into this iconic high school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the kids are really inspirational. They would, I mean, you saw it yourself in those mm-hmm. scenes in the science auditorium. Like I could not understand a word there. I mean, they were like 17 <laughs> years old and it was way over my head, all of their knowledge. Um, um, so it, it was, it really was um, quite an experience. No doubt. And the teachers, you know, the teachers yes. there that are kind of the supporting characters were just, um, I mean, they welcomed us. They, they let us use their offices, their tiny office <laughs> as our film staging grounds. We kind of took it over. Um, and they were just so generous. I mean, we really couldn't have made the film without them. Oh, well, you know what? Congratulations. I mean, closing out the Fascination Asian Film Festival here. And thank you. I mean, the, the students, their stories were so compelling. The parents, too. And, you know, being a parent. To wrap things up, Debbie, words of wisdom to all of the Asian parents out there. <laughs> Your kids are amazing. Um, you know, I, it's funny. Alvin's mom. Oh, you know, she's a sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, I really adore his mom. Actually, I think she's. Mm-hmm. You can't do justice to her in a. You know, she, there's like five kids, and then the moms, and she just doesn't get enough screen time. 
I can think, <laughs> you know, she's, she's amazingly complicated person. Um, but she would say like, um, when she saw the film, she, oh, my son's not as good as Ian, you know, <laughs> which I know she doesn't really mean like she has to do that because she's Chinese, you know, she has to say that she has to put her, you know, she has to be humble and self-deprecating, but you know, you love your child. Like, that's the thing. Like, no matter how hard you are on your kid, your kid is amazing. And they are, you know, that's just, you know, what they're endowed with. I, no matter what, what they achieve or, you know, where they go to college. I think that's, um, at the end of the day, you'll still have your relationship with them. And that's probably really important to you. I mean, that's like the only thing that I would, that's like the big lesson. <laughs> for, you had to put, you know, a fortune um, cookie lesson to the end of my film. Well, you know what? Words of wisdom, well taken. I have two grown sons. They did go to university. They did graduate. But, Actually. you know, <laughs> they're happy. No, no, like whatever tests or like, you know, doing all of those uh, entrance exams. But uh, thank you so much, Debbie. And I hope you will continue to do more films like this to share, uh, you know, our stories. And the next one, maybe share our history. Just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, a good history lesson that could maybe be used in schools going forward. But congratulations, Debbie Lum, director, producer, try harder, and good luck to all of the students all over that. Well, we're heading into June, and it will be graduation soon. So congratulations to all of you, and thank you, Debbie, for this opportunity. continue on with Hewitt Home. Coming up, we have another interview from the Winnipeg Women's Conference, this time with Dana Spiring. She'll tell us all about why Winnipeg is the place to be. doing great and we're, we're you know like every major city in Canada we're coming out of one of the roughest two years that I think people could imagine and, and probably couldn't imagine um, but but over that time we've made great investments you know we've got so much to look forward to in the next 
little bit of time, we're going to have the Royal Canadian Aviation Museum open. We're going to have the Leaf at Assiniboine Park open. You know, we've got this beautiful facility here, Come York, and, uh, and we've got a lot to celebrate. So I, I think, uh, is Winnipeg doing well? We're getting there. And, and as we come out of this pandemic, you know, we've got so many attractions and so many things that are going to draw people here. I'm, I'm pretty excited about what the future holds. Okay, so that is your job, right? To promote, to develop. Dana, in these two years, yes, like you had mentioned, it's been unprecedented times. How do you think our city has fared during that time? You know, it, it's, it's hard to give a one kind of one answer to that question because there's parts of our city that have done amazingly well. I mean, if you were in manufacturing, if you were in technology, if you were in financial services, these last two years have been record-breaking in a lot of ways. Um, but if you were in the hospitality industry, if you were in pro sports, if you were in the restaurant business, right, it has been the worst of times. Or, or you know, any one of our major attractions in the city, it's been the worst of times. So um, there have been winners and losers. But I'm, uh, I'm confident that as we come out of this, we're going to have a whole lot more winners. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be able to raise some of these attractions up because uh, they've, spent, they've spent two tough years, and, and I think we're all ready. Most definitely yeah. we are. And we take a look, too, at not only are you into making our city incredible, but also uh, the community. So the philanthropic side yeah. of Dana Spiring, United Way, um, and also sitting on the board for our Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah. And congratulations, another great Thank cup. you. Back-to-back -back Great Cup champions. That's pretty exciting. That's going to be big shoes for any woman to follow <laughs> you, okay? Or any guy. Oh, guy, too. Yeah, guy. <laughs> No, but I guess, you know, that whole other side of you, um, really giving back is important. You know, I, I'm chairing the United Way campaign this year. So for 2022, I'm, I'm chairing the campaign. And, you know, I, I really believe that we're all Winnipeg. And if we're not all doing well, we're, none of us are doing as well as we could be doing. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about the pandemic and you talk about winners and losers, I mean, if you were somebody that had a, a temporary job or was paid by the hour or different things, you know, the last two years have been have been really tough and you've had to think about how to put food on the table for maybe the first time in your life, right? So I, I think right now more than ever, you know, we need to dig deep and, and figure out how to help those in our community that, that have really struggled. And, you know, we know that not only is food security a huge issue, but mental health has been a huge issue. And whether you're a kid who's missed their high school graduation or whether you're, you know, a young person that's trying to figure out what it means to be locked down and trying to make relationships. You know, it's, it's been really, really hard. And, and we're seeing that now in the data. We're seeing how hard this has been for people's mental health. You know, domestic violence has been another one. You know, if some, for some people, that stay home order is the worst possible sentence that they could get, right? It wasn't safe at home. So we've got a lot of work to do, and we've got to make sure that, uh, that we are able to, to help everybody who needs it. And, you know, this is going to be a tough year, but one where I think Winnipeggers are up to the challenge. You know, we're, we're some of the best givers in Canada, and I hope this year we, uh, we raise the bar even further. Oh, well, you know what? Our work is, you know, cut out for us, definitely. But if you kind of look at it, Dana, now, where do the women fit in? Where do we fit in? And I know that we have made big moves yep. in all aspects. Uh, you know, you could kind of take into fact to your own career. Uh, how easy is it now? for women to have positions of power, if yeah. I dare say that word. You know what, I, I, think it, I think it is easier than it's ever been for women to, to lead and for women to run organizations and, and you know, sit at the, the chair of 
major league sports teams, right? That wasn't always the case. I, I think the world is ready. I, I think, you know, the old boys club is prepared to have a couple women at the table. And, and uh, that's been my experience. I think the hardest thing for women sometimes is, is getting over our own baggage, right? We all have these perceptions and, and we may not be 100% qualified for any job we ever take. I don't know anyone who has been. So you got to learn a little bit on the go. You got to be really confident in what you know and you've got to be really aware of what you don't. And when you don't, it's okay to ask for help. So I, I, think, um, I think this is a great time for, for women to lead. I, I also think though that you know, when we talk about this pandemic, women have been hard, hit harder than anybody else because when homeschooling happened, when caring for people happened, it was women who left the workforce you know, to go in and handle those responsibilities. So um, the pandemic has been tough and, and you know, we've, we've all, again, got to work together to, to rise above that. Do you think we really support each other? And I'm talking about women yeah. supporting women. You know, I, I, I've seen both sides of the equation. And I have a, an incredible group of women that I consider very close friends that are amazing at raising each other up, at celebrating each other's accomplishments. Uh, but I've also seen women who are a little catty and, and maybe not, uh, not quite as supportive as we could be. And sometimes we're our own worst critics, which isn't helpful. So, you know, I, I think this is conferences like this and events like this are a great way to come together and, and support each other and raise each other up and learn from each other because we have so much to offer. And I guess words of wisdom from Dana Spiring. You know what? The biggest piece of advice I think I could give anybody is say yes. You're going to have opportunities that come at you. You're going to have, um, you know, whether it's volunteer opportunities or career opportunities. And, and there's always going to be part of you that thinks, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. Uh, my advice would be say yes, try new things, put your hand up, and, uh, and you'd be surprised where it takes you. The Hive is a climbing and fitness facility, so we're bouldering only, which means no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. The four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness, and community, and those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience. to give a big thank you to all of our special guests on today's show and leave you with this question. If you could make your own film, what would it be about your own personal history? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikehu. But for now, stay safe and healthy and we'll see you next time on Hugh at Home. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. 
every week I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.